0: Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates Podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. But really, if, if you look at the numbers of 2023, it's going to be like looking in the rear view mirror, leaving a disaster zone. And uh, I can assure you that we look forward at much better and greener pastures. So. 2023, only $22 billion. That's nothing. It's, it's one of the latest or, or smallest places in, in terms of transactions in New York City. And it's because of interest rates, but also because of the housing regulation policy and the lack of attendance in uh, the office market. But good news did happen. Jobs are way above pre-pandemic uh, levels. Tourism, more than 60 million people visited Uh, New York City last year and subway ridership grew 16% year over year. Let's talk about each one of the asset classes and we like to start with Office. Office did only three and a quarter billion dollars of transactions. Look how low that is. Probably the lowest we've seen in 20 years. We have it here only 10. But it's because of two things you should remember. Occupancy is only at 65% compared to pre-pandemic levels but there was a 10% growth year over year, so we're going to better places. Mortgage maturities, on the other hand, affected office buildings more than any other asset class. Mortgage maturities forced decisions. In 2024, they're gonna double in the office market. And if 2023 is evidence, one of the things you're going to see is some companies, smart companies, big office companies, hand keys over to lenders and we've seen that with rxr and with lnl and with blackstone and with about five or six other companies that did exactly that so where is the value in office in the class a well-amenitized well-tenanted buildings like the seagram building this one got a 1.1 billion dollar recapitalization 245 park avenue another recapitalization workout and 300 park avenue and about six others because they're Class A office building and that's where the value is. These buildings attract the dream tenants, the law firms, the MetLife, the PJTs, they're taking about millions of square feet and they're willing to pay $90 to $130 a foot. The second value in office is found in these companies that are making office their homes, While Spargo put more than $400 million in Hudson Yards in their own office building. We've seen Mediawill and Enchante and NYU buying the second building in two years and last year Google. These are companies that look at New York City long term, want to retain talent, and believe that by owning real estate, they'll do so better. The third value is found not in office conversions to residential because we don't have these state and city incentives yet but in the big makeover of existing office buildings into what could be attractive to tenants that are paying less than 80 bucks a foot. And we've seen Empire and Sovereign and Kaufman buying these kind of buildings to take that makeover and take that chance on the market. So the office market is in in indefinite transition. We're gonna see it in 2024, probably also in 2025. But the good news, we have more pricing discovery and ideas, and that pushes companies like RXR and SL Green to raise billions of dollars to reinvest in Office. So we're very optimistic, but it's going to take a few years before we see a major recovery there. Office used to be the largest investment in New York City. Now it's multifamily, which is about a third of all investments here. That's what we've seen last year as well but even here we've seen a drop in volume to 7.4 billion dollars only and that's because of interest rates but also because of the housing policy and because of the closure of signature bank which was a major lender in new york city multifamily multifamily is divided to three parts we talked about it before it's free market it's rent stabilized it's affordable housing the free market world take the majority takes the majority of the transactions um, because it is unregulated and because the supply is constrained uh, we are excited to have uh, Jesse Terry here with us today from hub who does exactly that Invests in free market affordable uh, free market multifamily housing and we're looking forward to your remarks Um, it is really an inflation hedge if you think about it, but even that strong category where every institution wants to be in or every international buyer, even that suffered last year. And that's, we've seen only five large transactions, more than $100 million in the free market multifamily Category. So most sellers sat on the sidelines, and those who sold were essentially discretionary sellers, developers at the end of construction, funds that were at the very end of their period and had to sell, or estates and families. Rent stabilized multifamily, on the other hand, <clears throat> was only 18% of the total pie. That used to be double pre 2019, and remember that year, um, Margaret Grossman here from uh, T30 remembers that year, because she changed the vision for her company to invest uh, differently moving forward from 2019. We're excited to hear you out soon. And what happened in 2019, HSTPA, the extreme regulation that took place that changed how rent stabilized is being treated. If you have a rent stabilized apartment today that's vacant, you cannot increase rents anymore, even if the landlord puts money into the unit. What does that do? The buildings, rent stabilized buildings become dilapidated. Many units are vacant. As a result of that law and interest rates, valuations drop. Now I'm gonna show you something that will probably shock you because it's 27 to 65% drop. These are not averages. These are actual buildings that traded last year and many of them traded within a period of eight years. So that's a real drop in value. Who's investing in these? private money private families who have a very very long-term horizon why do they invest first thing is the cheap bricks that's really what it is and the second thing is maybe that regulation is unsustainable and maybe there is going to be a change one step in the right direction we've seen in 2023 uh, we've seen some large rent stabilized complexes convert to affordable housing leaning on legislation that took place at the end of 2022 but it was very few it would very few of those they require city approvals the city is not necessarily happy to always provide this accommodation what it means is that our city and state needs to think carefully how to create sustainability in rent stabilized so this asset class could continue to do well and not dilapidate And the last thing is affordable housing. 35% of all multifamily transactions were there. That's a relatively big percentage. Very excited to have uh, Richard Roberts from Redstone here with us today. And Richard is a veteran affordable housing investor, held many positions throughout his career, and we're excited to hear you out on that specific uh, asset class. Where it adds value or where the value is found in affordable housing is that in that intersection between government and private money when it comes to new york city you also find mission driven capital this is the capital that's looking for a double bottom line they are looking to have quality affordable housing on the one hand and a financial a positive financial result 2023 was a big year for affordable housing we've seen uveen buy close to a billion dollars we've seen treadway buy the Park portfolio from the related Uh, Companies and Arker, a deal that our team at Ariel Property Advisors led. We've seen Vistria, uh, which Tamika just mentioned, buy here in the city, and Goldman Sachs and Aslan Aslan buying uh, the Highliner portfolio, also a deal that Ariel Property Advisors uh, led. We think that one of the aspects of housing in New York City should be about the production of housing. And if you look at this chart, we need to produce about 60,000 units per year. We only produced 11,000, so we, f- we need to do five times that. And that affects land transactions, only $4 billion, look at that. This is a third of what it was in the peak in 2015. And that's because of interest rates and construction costs, but also because we do not have a tax abatement for almost two years now. And that's what's needed to develop rental and affordable housing. But developers did find value if the 421A was already there, specifically in Brooklyn, uh, specifically in the Gowanus. For example, 125 Third Street is a deal that our company led and brokered. uh, And we can tell you that the interest there was extremely high because of that abatement. Where else did developers find value? If the city and state cooperated, affordable housing land traded. So that's another evidence of what we need to do here in the city. And the third, in prime locations, when luxury residential could take place, we've seen some transactions, but not too many of them. So what needs to happen, in our opinion, for the production of more housing, incentives for developers, you name it, rezoning bonuses, tax abatements, subsidies, we need to develop more affordable, more middle income, and more free market housing, rental housing. And this quote, you have to embrace the world if you want to live in it now, could be attributed to our politicians, but it's not. It's uh, really a quote that uh, anybody knows? Miuccia Prada. Miuccia Prada said that. She's the chief designer of Prada. And why do I mention her? Because Prada was the retail story of the year, of 2023. They thought that Fifth Avenue was on sale. They just dropped about $800-plus into retail on Fifth Avenue. And guess what? Gucci just followed suit in the beginning of this year with close to a billion-dollar transaction, we tell, which tells us that brands do want to be in prime locations here in New York City. So, retail is finding its footing and tourism, as I said before, is doing really, really well. Hotel transactions grew a lot last year and that's because the fundamentals are strong. The average daily rates and occupancy are number one in the United States when it comes to New York City. And it's not just the demand factor, it's also the supply. Migrant, the migrant uh, population has taken some rooms off the market and the legislation or against Airbnb is clearly affecting the supply equation. The last asset class is industrial and at the very end of last year, we've seen this amazing FedEx transaction, another company that buys in New York City for close to $250 million. Demand for industrial is still strong and we believe we'll continue to see it moving forward. So we're gonna talk very quickly about headwinds and tailwinds. And I'm gonna tell you that there's a lot more tailwinds than headwinds, which is a good thing. Um, But the headwinds, the first one is the geopolitical uh, risks that we see out there, wars out there. Uh, We didn't write it here, but clearly we're in election year. That could be a wild card. It was a wild card in 2017, so something to to watch for. What else? Um, Mortgage maturities. We spoke about it when it pertains to the office market. But we will see more of that specifically in rent-stabilized housing, we believe, this year. And there are many buildings that are in the middle of construction that will come to maturity also this year. What else? Housing policies, specifically the good cause eviction that might affect free market multifamily. We're going to talk about that further, uh, maybe with our panelists. But let's talk about the tailwinds. And the first one is the abundance of capital. There's $300 billion sitting on the sidelines. This allows for about $800 billion of buying power. That's big. We spoke about these companies that raise money for office purchases. We also know that KKR, Blackstone, and others raised money for private lending, which means liquidity is much higher this year than it was last. And we spoke about some international investors, but Qatar is here too, and Germany, and Japan. Japan invested 3.7 billion in the United States, so a lot of capitals here. Then you have interest rates that are hopefully coming down, which is good for real estate. And then we have mortgage maturities again. Mortgage maturities are good for transactions and pricing discoveries, so they're bad for pricing, but they're good for transactions and pricing discoveries. And uh, strong fundamentals, which I mentioned before, um, Housing promises and housing policy promises, we hope that this year we will see something in the form of a 421A or 485X. Hopefully by the end of this year, we know that the, uh, certain areas of the Bronx will rezoned, we're expecting more rezoning uh, to take place in general, and hopefully some solutions for office to residential incentives. Affordable housing, on the federal levels, there's at least two legislations that are offered and will be beneficial. And on the local level, the MIMI program and the 24 for 24, which the mayor just announced, uh, are good things, hopefully, for the city. And lastly, insurance cost mitigation. There's legislation that might help affordable housing owners mitigate some of their insurance costs moving forward. So all in all, a lot more tailwinds and, and great demand factors. We think that... 2024 is going to be a better transactional year if you look at it and it's going to take a little time it's not going to happen immediately we think second or third quarter is when we'll start seeing these transactions go up where we think pricing is we do think pricing has bottomed down we don't think it's going to come down at least from the most part um, moving forward our investors are telling us they're looking to place in the next 12 to 18 months. That really wraps up my part of the presentation.